Welcome to the Literacy Fellows Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gabriel. Welcome back again. We are so lucky to have this chat with Jeffrey Williams in the series. This is our very first series and it's focused on doing literacy interventions online. You'll notice right away that this episode has a little bit of a different feel. This is like fireside chats with President Roosevelt. It's um, it's calming, it's inspiring, it's big picture, but it's practical at the same time. And that's all because we're talking to someone who has been learning and leading in this field at an incredibly high level for a very long time. He'll tell you a tiny bit about himself, but there's a lot that he won't say, not the least of which is that he's an author, he's a past president of the National Council for Teachers of English, and he's been supporting the development of expert reading teachers for decades all over the U.S. I'm so grateful he said yes to being on the podcast, and I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. Here is Jeff Williams. So I am a reading recovery teacher leader. Um, and a K-12 literacy coach from Solon, Ohio, which is a suburb of Cleveland. Um, I have been in the education field for 33 years now. I know, it's crazy. Um, I also teach graduate courses for the Ohio State University, Kent State University, Wright State, different different places. And my favorite part of my job is my part where I get to be actually working with kids and with teachers directly. Mm-hmm. So what has your experience been so far with online instruction and intervention? Is this uh, new for you in this new world, or is this something you've been doing uh, on and off in different ways for a while? So that's an interesting way to think about it. I, it it's new with young children, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I have, in fact, worked in this environment in many different capacities um, with um, university students. Mm-hmm. Um, even with, with my work with training for reading recovery and other things in meetings, that, that is a helpful thing that I have. Mm-hmm. But working in an environment with a child or a group of children in a, in, who are young is a different ball game than I am sure I know how to play yet. Yeah, right on. <laughs> cool. Uh, so, so what are the what are the considerations? What's on your mind when you think about doing this with one or more young children? I think um, that I'm struggling with is: Do I have the things around me that I normally would have at school, mm-hmm. um, including magnetic letters or magic markers or whiteboards mm-hmm. or whatever? And found that my initial um, inventory of what I decided to bring home was not actually what I needed at home and I had to end up going back to the school oh boy um to get things that I really did need so there were just little little things that you know one normally wouldn't think about um what was something that you didn't bring initially that you found you wanted magnetic letters like that just just the idea (laughs) of like why would I need that you know Mm. Because I think of that as being such an interactive thing, right, one-on-one with a student um, or to demonstrate something and didn't realize that actually I still need that. I'm still Mm -hmm. going to have to show and demonstrate something and having something physical like that is much better than a a flat kind of thing. So that was an example. And then um, some of my books, I didn't think to bring home all of my books, you know, mm, right. just my favorite books. I brought home what I thought I was going to need for a week or two. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that there's so many things that are going to be really, really helpful mm-hmm. and have been really helpful for kids. Um, 
that will allow me to continue the kind of work that I'm used to doing with them in person as long as other things are in place. And that's the, that's the next part of the story. Okay. All right. So tell me about some of these things. What are some of the conditions? Conditions that we're noticing. First of all, some children have nothing but their parents' iPhone or mm -hmm. smartphone mm -hmm. to be able to access the curriculum through because that's the only technology they have there. Um, there will be some students that won't have any technology at all available to them. The school has, schools are making policies to allow families to have devices, but then you also have to have internet connection, which could be another factor. Um, and even though Spectrum and Verizon and lots of other places have said, oh, this is wonderful, we will give people who need it free access, remember that the cable company never worked that fast when they were being paid for profit. <laughs> <laughs> so the backlog of what they're doing. Um, you know that was Spectrum or AT&T calling you because they heard what you were saying. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Just like when you Google something. <laughs> it's them already. They're already coming. That's a great um, point. This free stuff sounds wonderful, but when? And it, Yeah, what I've read online is that there are people that are, you know, waiting forever for that stuff to happen. And, and it's a wonderful gesture, and I'm glad that they, they've done it. But mm -hmm. they're also dealing with shortages and supplies and personnel issues and mm -hmm. same things that everybody else are. So it's understandable that that may not actually happen. Yeah. Um, so between, you know, the family having the connectivity and then the devices that the different people have or don't have, the other factor, and I, I tried, our district has been very gracious about this message of saying, even though we are trying to help by coming into the house virtually yep. to offer some support, mm -hmm. we have to also be prepared for the reality that for some parents, this is a stressor that mm -hmm. cannot it is not seen as helpful. Yeah. It is a stressor on the time of the family. Uh, if you have multiple children at home mm -hmm. and one device, um, mm -hmm. that's an issue. We have families who both parents are working. They're both in the medical field and they are working tremendous hours that the only time that they have available is after school. And that's precious family time to them that also we don't want to intrude on. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have people that might be concerned about the shape of their home, the, you know, the cleanliness, the, the uh, other factors that are going on, the space issues. If you've mm -hmm. got a, uh, we have several families that have multiple families in the same dwelling. Mm -hmm. And so being able to connect in a way with a child where they can hear you well and they can do these kinds of things, mm -hmm. that might in fact be seen as a negative and we have to be ready for that and not impose, right. uh, you know, here we are offering our time and our expertise and why wouldn't somebody take that? Mm -hmm. um, the, but the reality is that may not come in the, the, the package that we think that it's wrapped up in to be, mm -hmm. uh, may not be perceived as a present, yeah. Um, yeah. you know? And so that, that's something that, that teachers are, learning themselves and, mm -hmm. and trying to figure out how to, to navigate in this and also is weighing on their mind so heavily is if there is the situation where I cannot connect with a parent or a child, 
how will I be held accountable for that? Mm -hmm. The teacher's feeling very um, worried about that because they see themselves as part of a system. That's how we've always worked. And that if you're not providing your end of the bargain Mm -hmm. to the rest of the district, you Mm -hmm. are somehow not doing well. Mm -hmm. And so we've really talked about, nope, you are doing your part. You're doing everything that you can do. And the most humane thing you might need to do is not do something for that family right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I have teachers, reading recovery teachers, who are literally driving to children's homes to drop off books that they go to school and collect a new group of books. And then every Monday they stop at the house and put them in uh, the mailbox. so there's that kind of person who's, you know, like trying to make this all work in such a physical way. Mm-hmm. And then I have others that are dealing with their own children being at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's all of this stuff, right? Yeah. So those are all potentials, potential things getting in the way for people. Um, and none of that has to do with the potential of getting sick even. You know, we've got right. that whole, in this environment at least. Mm-hmm. So I tend to try and be careful of spending too much time on social media because it really throws our, our inner measurement systems out of whack in yes. terms of <clears throat> knowing, you know, is my life good? Am I working hard enough? Am I creative enough? Is my life good enough? Is my house clean enough? Yes. And many of us are spending much more time online than normal. Um, some, sometimes because we're doing something other than social media online, but sometimes because social media has become much more of a meaningful um, and important lifeline uh, for connection. And I think also we have this funny uh, recombination of small pieces we're familiar with. Everybody is familiar with being, you know, in the example you gave, I knows how to be a mother, knows how to be a reading recovery teacher, but also having to recombine those things that are familiar means you have to recalibrate what counts as good enough and what counts or, or good at all. <laughs> and I, I think we, I've he- heard lots of conversations about this in terms of screen time with young children. And, and now the ways of measuring that restriction or thinking about what should be are sort of out the window. And I also feel for myself and I've noticed for other people, the ways of knowing whether you're doing enough, which is always something that's a challenge for an educator. Yes. And a parent and many yes. other fields. Yes. But to to know whether it's enough and know that when you look online, some people are developing cures for, you know, X, Y, and Z and face masks and beautifully mastered YouTube videos. And here yeah. I am, you know, holding right. up my cell phone with a tomato can and I don't yes. know. You know. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's really difficult to know uh, how much is enough and how much is too much, and how will I be held accountable at the end? When will the shoe drop? I think that's yes. a challenge, yes. partly associated with not knowing if this, how short-term this is, yes. and also not knowing what, you know, the topic of our podcast next week is assessment. Um, uh-huh. And the writing on the wall with assessment is always, this reflects back on the teacher. Mm-hmm. And so that's awkward. <laughs> yes. And I think that drives a lot of what you were saying and what what I was getting at too of mm-hmm. of the teacher's self worry and self doubt because at mm-hmm. some point they're used to being held accountable yeah. in a system way yeah. um, that they don't know for sure how that's going to look or sound or feel mm-hmm. and this component alone could throw somebody over the edge. But when you combine that now with, 
as you said, refiguring every part of your life about whether you are doing enough as a parent or as a spouse or as a this or that, mm -hmm. uh, as a citizen, you know, right. um, these, these things are building up for people and they're really, they're really feeling very um, out, of, out of their element. Um, yeah, <laughs> a good example of this. Um, people who are listening to this that don't know you will not know that you've been sewing masks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when you told me that, at first, of course, I thought you were sewing like costume masks. Not like, oh, you're so creative. And then I realized you were sewing, you know, like medical masks. Uh, but so, of course, then I spent an hour and a half online, first of all, learning about sewing machines and deciding yeah. which one I wanted, and then learning about learn to sew online lessons uh -huh. and then looking at patterns and then realizing that that may, may not actually be the best use of my time, <laughs> even, though, <laughs> even in the time where masks are in short supply, me learning to like the learning curve of all of that. Right. Right. Every time for my the sewing machine that I have identified that I should absolutely own because yes. I clearly never had a need for one before. Right. And, but I really, I really understand <laughs> and feel deeply lack of kind of boundaries or rudders on um, what seems like too much and over the top uh, and what seems like, you know what, this is a crazy time and this is exactly right. This is just enough. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's it. It's just, yeah. um, trying to figure out where we belong again yeah. all of a sudden is 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 unsettling to everybody we're all kind of in the same spot you mm -hmm. know all we're asking is for us to try there isn't really a right or wrong here you just have to get out there and ask for help and share and give what you can give because that's all we can ask of anybody right now so we're going to figure it out we're going to keep keep at it. And if you ask me these same questions next week, it's likely to be a whole different set of answers because it seems like it's just moving in that direction that we're. Yes. Yeah. And, and I'm glad that you're normalizing that uh, yes. by saying it out loud. And I think yeah. uh, in so many ways, norm normalizing so many things by saying them out loud. Yes. Uh, and I've heard this from um, a couple, enough people now that it's becoming a pattern that um, not just remembering that we're all in this together, uh, which is comforting in itself, yeah. but um, making sure that you stick in it together, which means yes. saying yeah. out loud the things that you're thinking because you're not the only one and it's helpful yes. for others to know. That's a great way to put it. And what we're seeing online, just as it was before, uh, is often the extremes, um, what's funny or what's pretty, but not necessarily what's nitty gritty or true or common. Mm -hmm. And so... <laughs> Uh, I think the piece about communicating that with other people. Because we, we are not able to connect with the same people that we're used to in a school setting. You know, kids coming into class, they would interact with each other mm -hmm. in, in different ways. And they're not seeing each other socially um, right. and teachers the same way. And so that all of this stuff that when we can put that out there, it just helps us to say, well, this is enough, or maybe this is enough for right now, or this isn't enough. And now I know some ideas about how to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I can contribute to that, but it's a very unusual time. Yeah. Today, a technique that I've made a couple of videos with and tried out, which is a form of echo reading. Okay, mm -hmm. so I've got my um, device, my recording device set up so that I'm looking straight down onto the text. Mm -hmm. And 
talking to the child a little bit about it and saying, okay, so I'm going to read this, I'm going to read this page, and then I'm going to stop and you reread the page. Mm-hmm. And I could read a whole book that way and then send that little clip, because mm-hmm. we we're reading short books for early readers, um, off to the parent's tablet or iPhone or email or whatever else. Mm-hmm. And now the child has a sense of it's not exactly having that book, but right. they've also, especially when they don't, we can't get them all of the kids the books that we need. And certainly mm-hmm. there are a ton of online resources right now that we can yeah. use. But yeah. again, there may not be the possibility for everybody to access that. Mm-hmm. So just thinking about, here's something that we know is a, a particular kind of scaffold that has been useful before for some students. Mm-hmm. And can we use it in a digital way to solve the problem of access to text mm-hmm. and then also being able to connect asynchronously when we can't get together. And so wow. that's a that's a little, you know, one of those little things that like, okay, we're trying to learn new ways to work in the world. Mm-hmm. Here's one that might work for some of you. That's great. You know. Yep. So that's a that's my newest uh, tip of the week, um, the newest thing that I've come in into. The other one that I'll share very quickly, and I I, I don't know who to credit this with, but mm-hmm. um, some people have you know a way to hold their device to do some some um, again direct looking on a text because I think that that's important for kids to be able to see the text that teachers are reading aloud and that that kind of thing, but. You know, you can certainly buy those arms and you can do whatever. There's all kinds of interesting things. But somebody took a cardboard box, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen these. So they've literally just taken a cardboard box and then they cut a hole in the the top part of it Mm -hmm. for the camera. And then the phone or the iPad sits on top. And then the teacher is working with the text inside the box. It's open and light. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now you've got a perfectly stable environment and you haven't, you haven't spent a dime. You just had a cardboard box in the basement. Oh, great. And you have a perfect way to be able to deliver directly looking at a text in order to do something with. Wow. Um, I just, you know, I love the ingenuity yeah. <laughs> of, of people right now and, and the fact that they're sharing these things. And then that gives other people ideas. So Mm -hmm. that was one I just came across this morning and I was like, oh my God, this is brilliant. There are all these fancy ways to do it, but really all you need, including devices made just for that purpose. Yes. Uh, Really all you need is a cardboard box with a hole cut in it and not even like a fancy hole, just take like, murder the box and punch a hole in it. <laughs> Maybe it could be used as a therapeutic thing of like, you know, like you, yes, right. you're actually getting out some angst. And, and it's a great opportunity for learning. And that's the other thing that I, I really try to explain to people is you are in a unique period of history that no one has ever in our generations or our lifetimes has ever gone through before and so you've got to look at this as both a a unique learning period and a Mm -hmm. period of great change when people first started to try and you know jerry-rig together these different ways to get you for online learning it reminded me of the first time that i um went to do professional development 
in a third world country. And we were in a classroom that didn't, you know, dirt floor, no electricity. There was a chalkboard, but you know, one that had been used so well that you could barely see the chalk on it when you tried to write on it. And so, you know, but it was in the, also in the middle of a field with lots of farm animals. So I'm thinking on the one hand, like there's so much here that we can use in terms of visuals and, yeah. um, and manipulatives and stuff like that. Um, and on the other hand, like, where's my PowerPoint clicker? I don't know what yeah. to do if I don't have a PowerPoint <laughs> clicker. <laughs> and it, it's really brought me back to that mo a moment of saying to myself, you know, you think you know so much with your fancy PowerPoint clicker that yeah. you, you think yeah. in slides now because those yeah. are the technologies that are associated with my work here. Yeah. Um, and, and yet you can't teach the simplest thing um, if you don't have your fancy tools in front of you. Yeah. It also reminds me of um, uh, in, in, in your kitchen, if you are really, really a good chef, you need a knife. You don't need a bazillion gizmos. Um, and it's not that you wouldn't use things that are you know, purpose specific because they're there and convenient, but um, really knowing your stuff means you can make it happen in lots of different ways. And so there are areas where I'm certainly learning that I didn't know what I thought I knew and I'm leaning on my colleagues and finding inspiration and ideas from others. And then there's also um, opportunities to be surprised by what I knew that was hidden. Yes, um, I just thought I had forgotten about the surface, uh -huh. but really I know it all the way down to its root and therefore can make it look lots of different ways yeah. on the surface. Yeah. So that's yeah. exciting and humbling at the same time. Yeah, exactly. It, I think it's an incredible opportunity for us to to place ourselves in the role of learner and understanding how things go and that you are creating, you know, we always, we've long talked about the teacher's job is to create the conditions under which learning can happen. Mm -hmm. And we said that before when the condition was really pretty well already established. There's a classroom, there's desks, there's mm -hmm. all of this stuff that was mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. And now we're not with that stuff. And we are still asked to create the conditions under which learning can happen. Yeah but we have all new stuff and different stuff and not the same stuff. Yeah. And so it's the same set of principles that you learned when you were first walking into a school setting, mm -hmm. that we're all back to square one and we're in it together. What are you excited to learn about next? What's the next thing that you're, where, where's the raw edge of your learning right now? Huh, well, that's a great question. Um, I think one of the things that I'm really interested in is uh, program platform called Loom mm -hmm. that um, looks like there's a lot of stuff I could do with it yeah. <laughs> that I think I could really become useful to teachers um, in my own district and, and beyond um, using this this particular tool that is brand new to me. I just was introduced to it yesterday and I'm already like having all these ideas about what I could do. And so um, I'm excited by the 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 newness of some of all of learning these different platforms and even a platform like Zoom that I'm so familiar with. I've mm -hmm. learned so many new things. I know. Um, I'm embarrassed to announce to the world through this podcast that you told taught me that there's a whiteboard feature in Zoom, which oh I have gosh. used for years. Yes, <laughs> I didn't I realize know. this. There's so many features in there that are just these hidden little gems. And again, I was taught that by my five-year-old nephew. So right on. Right on. I, I think that <laughs> that 
us being able to be, again, putting ourselves back as learners. So I'm enjoying learning new platforms and protocols and things and, and seeing different features. That's been really exciting to me. Um, I'm learning how to create new conditions under which people can learn. Mm -hmm. And that means teaching yourself new platforms. So, a new job description. Yeah, yeah, new job description. That's it. Well, I of course want to thank Jeff so much for being with us. And that's it for this chat. You can find our guest contact information by navigating from our website, reading.education.ucon.edu, and clicking on podcast. We'll also have a transcript of this conversation and links to some of the tools and ideas mentioned here. Don't forget to like, subscribe, download, share, and check back here next week for a new series of podcasts from your Yukon Literacy Fellows. Thanks for listening.